Hello and welcome to Udcast, episode 55. This is Head of School Dan Glass with you once again, recording live in the Sound Lab here at the Brandeis School of San Francisco. It's nice to have you with us here again uh, on this fine Thursday morning. Um, I'm going to start with a poem, as we always start with a poem. Uh, This is um, a piece by the great uh, Paul Salon. Um, And I I thought to read a piece of his because um, uh, one of the questions I want to explore this morning on the Yudcast is around uh, moral responsibility. And um, in thinking about moral responsibility, Recently, one of um, one of the places that this came up, in some ways, the sort of foundational text, as it were, of Jewish history—not not an actual text, but the foundational piece of Jewish history in the 20th century—is, of course, the Shoah, the Holocaust, and um, in thinking about the responsibility that one human being has to another, one of the places that. Uh, Jewish thinkers often go um, is to the um, the uh, the folks who risked their lives to save the lives of Jews, to save the lives of other people who were being uh, killed in the Holocaust. And um, I don't so much. I'm not going to go deep into that piece of the question of moral responsibility. But but whenever I do think about um the uh, the morality uh, of um, of humans living through um, something like the Holocaust. Uh, of course, as a poet, my my mind goes to Paul Salon, um, probably the um, most I- impactful poet, German language poet, um, uh, Jewish poet of um, the uh, experience of the Holocaust, uh, whose stature is similar to Elie Wiesel's uh, as as a literary figure. Um, uh, his poetry can be hard to access at times, and I think it's quite intentionally so. Um, the the great um, literary critic Theodore Adorno, who is um, uh, a critic whose work I engaged with very deeply um, as a graduate student studying contemporary philosophy, um, had uh, said the line um, or, or wrote um, that to write poetry after Auschwitz would be barbaric um, and, and to write lyric poetry after Auschwitz would be barbaric in particular. And uh, we could have a whole conversation some other time, dear listeners, about um, just what that might mean. But uh, I think part of it is that the the, uh, the sort of easy access to information in the wake of uh, sus- such systematic uh, dehumanizing um, carnage would be uh, would be itself in inhumane, would be almost inhuman. Um, and I think part of what is uh, what is oblique in the writing of Salon is just an attempt to find a way back to humanity in the wake of the Shoah, in the wake of the Holocaust. Um, so with that uh, brief uh, introduction, or somewhat brief introduction into the work of Paul Salon, this is a poem called Our, um, All Your Seals Broken Open 
never. Um, and this is from a collection called Thread Sons. Um, and it goes like this. Go cedarize it too, the letter-skinned, eleven-hoofed guile, so that the wave, honey-distant, milk-close, when courage moves it to complaint, complaint to courage again, so that it not also mirror the electron idiot who processes dates for forewarning monkeys. And the reason I picked that is is twofold. One, the the um, the notion of moral uh, responsibility that is perhaps embedded in the question of of courage moving to complaint and then complaint to courage, um, and then also uh, what we are willing to risk, right? And and he says here, all your seals broken open, never. Um, and I think again, Salon. Um, uh, because of his experience, uh, um, um, because of his experience in the Shoah, probably uh, um, can't let the seals be broken open again, and even in his language, uh, does not allow it. Um, so, uh, in some ways, what I want to talk about today is an extension of what we talked about last week in episode fifty-four. Um, in response to Parsha Bo about um, the hardening of our hearts and how we can work to not harden our hearts or not allow our hearts to be hardened, uh, how we can work to not turn away from injustice. One of the gifts for me of living and working in the Jewish community is its strong emphasis on lifelong learning. Whether that takes the form of new degrees and career paths or the simple act of a group of adults coming together to study, as a crowd of our parents did for our first SEL book club this week on the work of Julie Lithcott Hames, um, who, uh, whose book How to Raise an Adult uh, I think was fodder for really uh, important conversation, and I want to encourage all of you who are able to um, go to the Speak event, and Brandeis is a uh, Speak member school um, that will, it's held at a Friends School at San Francisco Friends in a couple of weeks, and um, uh, Julie Lithcott Hames will be speaking. I know she'll be speaking both on uh, her work um, around parenting, how to raise an adult, uh, and also her new memoir, Real American, which is about uh, biracial, uh, growing up biracial um, and uh, sort of biracial identity in the United States. Uh, both well worth listening to, and I will say she's just a powerhouse as a speaker uh, and well worth um, spending an evening with. This Tuesday, for my own learning, I joined uh, Rabbi Yehuda Kurtzner and a couple dozen colleagues from organizations throughout the Bay Area for the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America's Executive Director Learning Series, an ongoing series of seminars on topics related to Jewish communal leadership. This month, we tackled the question of what do Jews owe to others, with the subheader toward a taxonomy of moral responsibility. Being that this is the Bay Area, we immediately complicated the terms on both sides of the equation. What or who is a Jew? And what or who is an other? And I have to say, I really appreciated that uh, one of my colleagues, I can't think of who it was off the top of my head, but somebody 
um, just noted uh, that even the the phrase non-Jew, which uh, is can be thrown around in talking about the Jewish community, you know, Jews and non-Jews working together, for example, um, that the the term non-Jew is it, itself very problematic. And I've had uh, lots of really interesting conversations about uh, the ways that we kind of slice and dice Jewish identity that, um, you know, for, for many people, the, the notion of being half Jewish is, um, is very problematic and doesn't speak to the reality of, uh, their lives and families, um, and, uh, as well interfaith, uh, you know, does, it just feels too simplistic, uh, to capture the universe of possible Jewish identity formations. Um, and, you know, when we imagine those categories of Jews and uh, others as integers rather than constellations of fractions, it seems retrograde here in the Bay Area. Um, and it was gratifying to see how many of my colleagues in that room quickly articulated a consensus position on that truth. What I love about these seminars is their grounding in Jewish text and the breadth of the textual citations we explore, in this case from sources ranging from the Babylonian Talmud to e-Jewish philanthropy to philosophical treatises on the limits of patriotism. It was the first of those that sparked my thinking this week. Under the header of convenience in the taxonomy of moral responsibility, we read from Nedarim in the Babylonian Talmud, where a city's spring water is discussed. The Talmud says that if the spring belongs to the city, then the residents of the city should take precedence. If they need drinking water and the others and others need drinking water, the residents of the city should come first. If the animals need water and the animals of some unnamed others need water, the residents of the city should water their animals first. And if both the city residents and others need to do their laundry, again the city comes first. But, says the text, if you need the water for laundry and others need the water to live, the lives of others should take precedence over your laundry. Seems simple enough, right? Lives before laundry. I think most of us can agree with that. But one Rabbi Yossi in the Talmud disagrees. Quote, even their own laundry takes precedence over the lives of others, as the wearing of unlaundered clothes can eventually cause suffering and pose a danger. Like several of my colleagues in the room, my first response to that was outrage and embarrassment that such a position is embedded in our tradition. Certainly, I'd like to think that if ever presented with a choice between doing laundry and saving a life, I would choose life. Yet, as another colleague pointed out, this isn't so much a moral position as it is a description of, a re of reality. After all, aren't we all doing our laundry right here and now while Flint, Michigan continues to go without safe drinking water? The latter point led to a discussion that connected back to Parsha Bo about how we all work to manage moral exhaustion and prevent the luxury of feeling overwhelmed. Rabbi Kurtzner's taxonomy of moral responsibility continued from the convenience of, hey, if my laundry's done, I can spare you some water, through a range of positions, all the way to a kind of universalist and even instinctual humanism that recognizes human suffering and need first, regardless of identity positions, whether you are a resident of the city or a, quote, other. These later positions, I must say, are much more compelling as moral stances. 
I love, for example, what the philosopher Martha Nussbaum had to say about education as a practice of ethical universalism, that, quote, we should cultivate the factual and imaginative prerequisites for recognizing humanity in the stranger and the other. Because it speaks to the work we're doing here at Brandeis on teaching radical empathy as an ethical framework for a healthy democracy. And we also discuss that those later positions are harder. They ask more of us, insist that we put more on the line. And this is where we got into the question of the righteous Gentiles and the Holocaust and really how much are, are we willing to risk? Um, and not just in, in the context of an abstract moral ideal, but in, in the reality of lived experience. How, we asked, do you move a community toward greater selflessness? And among the questions such a question provokes is whether that is actually a desirable goal. Well, I wouldn't claim to have a hold on the answers to these questions. I do know this. I am grateful to be in a community that values questioning as ritual. I'm grateful for learning as a measure of being alive. And I am grateful as a head of school to have time unfurl like a leaf certain mornings, time to ask the big questions toward the work of teaching our children well, teaching them always to choose life. And with that, I wish you all weekends filled with learning, my friends. Shabbat Shalom to anyone listening on Shabbat. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy uh, cozy, rainy weekends, and we'll look forward to being back with you next week. 